There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hello, this is Chris Cooper and a big welcome to the Business Elevation Show today. It's uh, great to be back with you for another week and uh, I'm really excited about today's show. We've got a fantastic guest in Jennifer Justice. Uh, we're going to talk today about winning with women and diversity. And uh, before I do that and I introduce you to Jennifer though, I want to say a big thank you to Judy Robinette who um, was on the show uh, last week, I think, talking, no, the week before last, sorry, talking to me about wisdom and uh, Judy is uh, a wonderful person in my network and, and just knows these most amazing people. And uh, Jennifer's one of those. So uh, thank you to Judy. And also thank you last week to Will Kintish. We unusually had somebody uh, postpone and Will um, joined at a very short notice. And we had a fantastic conversation about, uh, about networking, actually, and how to do that, that online. Um, so to my guest today, um, I'm you know, gender and equality, gender equality and diversity are just such issues at the moment that are kind of at the forefront of many people's thinking. And of course, um, if we can get to grips with this and make significant enhancements, the opportunity for business is a significant and also to create a better world. And we're at that crossroads at the moment where, you know, there is this opportunity and need to enhance the way that we behave and think. Now, my guest today, Jennifer Justice, is an entertainment and live experience executive. She's known for building artists' careers and businesses, and she marries both arts and commerce. She's had um, some amazing uh, clients in the past. Whilst at Rock Nation, uh, she was Jay-Z's personal um, entertainment attorney for 17 years. Um, she also was uh, Beyonce's uh, attorney for a year or two. She's worked with people like Rihanna, Shakira, and even Slipknot. So just a bit of variety there in uh, the entertainment uh, world. In 2019, JJ, as she's often known, founded the Justice Department, uh, a management strategy and legal firm working with female and also woke males, um, entrepreneurs, executives, uh, talent brands and creatives and to build exceptional value. Now, she's really passionate about this subject of uh, gender equality and diversity. And she's had some uh, incredible um, acknowledgements uh, in style, described her and nominated her and, uh, as one of the 50 badass women uh, changing the world in 2020. So we'll find out a little bit more about that. Um, she's on Billboard's Women in Power uh, three times. Uh, and JJ is featured on the Today Show, regularly contributes on NBC News. And uh, she balances all of this incredible um, lifestyle and work with uh, two beautiful children. So let's talk about um, about her story and her background, and let's talk about gender and equality. So a big welcome to Jennifer Justice. 
Thank you. That is quite an introduction. I'm like, I'm waiting for the show to start. I'm like, who's talking? It's not me. Lovely to talk with you today. And um, I, I'm really intrigued to find out a little bit about your past because, mm-hmm. you know, you have this uh, amazing career. You live in New York City. And uh, look at the, the glamorous photographs of you online with, with Jay-Z, with uh, wearing uh, the same dress with Beyonce, um, well, same uh, identical dresses, we should say, um, some really amazing images of you. But I don't think life was always a, a bed of roses for you, was it? Yeah. What about your start and uh, how you ended up doing what you do today? Yes, it, uh, it was not. And not to say, you know, look, it's, it, those are pictures online, right? <laughs> like, it's still not a bed of roses. We pandemic. And um, no, I was, you know, you know, short story. I was not supposed to be where I am today. Um, you know, I was, I was born to, you know, teenage parents. My mother didn't graduate from high school. Um, you know, my father graduated high school, but nobody in my family did you know, extended education or higher education whatsoever. Um, And, you know, that, that was to my extended family. And so for me, you know, it was, we were in, lived in a small town and what we were, you know, supposed to do is, you know, women were supposed to get married and have kids and men were supposed to be, you know, workers, um, you know, blue collar workers. And that's what we did in the family. Um, but it just never, from a very, very, very young age, as I'm told um, by many of my older cousins, et cetera, I was like, that is not what I'm doing. And so I just had it kind of, you know, the nature versus nurture, like I had in my nature that I was going to do something bigger and I wanted to, you know, uh, work and make a name for myself. So I ended up going to college at University of Washington. Um, I really wanted to go to Stanford, but the counselors were like, look, you don't have any money. Like you will owe so much money in the end. Like you could get in, but it's just not worth it. You know, University of Washington gave me scholarships and they gave me um, grants and work study. And I worked all my way. I'd, you know, I've worked basically 40 hours a week since I'm 14 years old. So I worked through that. Then I graduated from college and I had been going, you know, this grunge music was exploding during the time. And so I started hanging out in that kind of scene because when I did get to college, I was like, I didn't really feel like I fit in at all. I didn't, you know, there, I didn't see anybody was like me that didn't have, you know, parents had gone to college. It was just like something that they did and they all had, you know, jobs. And so when I graduated, I didn't have that like college roommate, you know, dad network or, you know, or mom network, which we'll get to later, um, you know, to help what I should do. So I was like, okay, well, I'll look on TV, a lawyer, doctor, banker, you know, they were sending me on, you know, the career center was sending me on, you know, insurance sales and, and wine distribution. And I was like, this is not what I want to do. I want to do something bigger. And, and so I ended up uh, applying to law school and getting into Cornell Law School, which brought me out to New York. Um, and it was right before I was leaving because I became friends with a lot of these bands in Seattle because Seattle was very small in particular at that time. Um, they were like, you know, we have attorneys and they're women. And I was like, that's what I'll do. You know, when ignorance is bliss, this folly to be wise. I was like, I'll be a music attorney. I had no idea what that meant. I had no idea how my path would get me there. And I went to Cornell Law School um, to be a music attorney, basically. Uh, 
Yeah, remember, remember grunge taking over. I used to be sort of into the eighties kind of metal sort of uh, yeah, scene when I, I was. I can uh, see that. I can see that. <laughs> <laughs> I used to have the hair. I just don't seem to have that anymore uh, to the same extent. But I remember that all kind of happening, and uh, I still like the Foo Fighters actually. Um, yeah, out of that that scene. But that was so exciting, though. If you were into into this uh, this grunge music, and you saw the opportunity to develop a career in that that area. Well, again, I was like, you know, in ignorance, of I didn't know if I could do that. You know, I didn't know. And we didn't know in Seattle, other than the bands a little bit, like we didn't know that the rest of the world was really watching. And like, it was such a huge, you know, scene. And so, you know, one thing I did know, you know, so then I, did, I ended up going to Cornell Law School. And then I, you know, I couldn't immediately get a job in music you know, entertainment because it's really small and insular. So I went uh, to a big Wall Street firm as a litigation litigation associate. And, you know, I quickly realized that I was not going to get anywhere in that firm. I mean, they really liked me. I did a really great job, but I didn't know general counsels. I was like, okay, that's how you get clients. Like I was ambitious. I wanted money. I wanted to grow. I wanted to be promoted. And the only way to do that is to be a revenue generator, right? And so I was like, how am I going to generate any revenue? So then by the time I did decide I was going to, um, you know, I I met some people and, you know, I narrowed down the law firms I wanted to go to in entertainment and what I wanted to do. And I'm, you know, in this, in this one firm that I started working at called Hughes Hubbard and Reed, there's a guy there who was like, look, I know what you want to do. You want to be a music attorney. So I'm going to, so do this, come work here for a while. And then when you're ready, I'll help introduce you to people. That's exactly what I did. And then right before I started working there, he called me and said, I have good news and bad news. The good news is I got a job at Electra Records. The bad news is I'm not going to be here anymore. So when you're ready, learn how to be a real attorney for like a year, year and a half, and then I'll introduce you. And that's exactly what he did. So then I went on my first interview and I was like, oh, this is, this is the place I want to be. This is amazing. This is like who I was representing most of the bands. And I walked in and it was like 30 white men. Hmm. And I'm like, what? Like, you know, and so I started interviewing and I'm like, are there any women here? And they go, oh, yeah, out there, like their assistants. And I was like, um, I'm sorry, why is that okay? And then he, they basically told me that I was too ambitious for the job. Um, and then I got, and so, you know, hence my first, you know, gender equality, you know, um, hitting my head on that glass ceiling. And so I was, you know, I wasn't dissuaded and I went on another job interview and it turned out it was one of the guys from that firm that was leaving to start his own firm. And I had not interviewed with him in that first round. So then, um, they called me up. I went to meet with him. It was called the Cotico Carol Guido and Groffman. Elliot Groffman was leaving the firm I had interviewed with, Grumman and Dursky, which still to this day has hardly any women and hardly any people of color. And I, um, I met with them and, you know, I, I had a great interview and, you know, they loved my background and they loved, you know, where I was from. And, and, you know, I knew that I could relate to people and, I could get clients, you know, mm-hmm. because they were from my same background. I could get clients in music and entertainment. So, you know, that night he had, turns out he had dinner with some of his old colleagues. And then he's like, oh, my God, I just met this woman. And her name is Jennifer Justice. Isn't that crazy? And I think we're going to hire her. And they were like, oh, we, we interviewed her at Grumman. And he was like, why didn't we hire her? And, she was, and they were like, oh, because she's too ambitious. I was like, okay. 
So anyway, so my quest for gender equality and my, my experience with it and personally started very, very young in my career. And I was just like, and because I didn't know anything about it, I just thought like you did a really good job and you worked hard and you would get paid equally as anybody else. Yeah. But I was wrong. Yeah. I feel yeah. a bit threatened by you today. Huh? I feel a bit threatened by you, you know, that, that ambition. You're going you're gonna to take their job one day. Yeah, you know, but that's not that, you know, it's a nice thing to kind of hear almost like, but it doesn't do you any good because that's just, you know, they have the power. I did not. So I ended up getting the job, you know, Cotico, Carol, Guido, and Groffin and became an associate there. And within three years, my first, and my, and they were telling me about their whole litany of, you know, their whole like roster of clients. And they were like, you know, and we have Marilyn Manson and Sugar Ray and, um, Dave Matthews band and oh and we have this really young hip-hop artist his name is Jay-Z and I was like oh I love Reasonable Doubt it's my favorite album and I'm like how do you even know who he is it was and it was right before Hard Knock Life came on and so came out and so it was the first thing I did is work on Hard Knock Life and help clear that album and then yeah and that's how I started in the music industry amazing so how, how what is uh, I mean what does life entail what are the kind of things you're doing when you're you're working with with these artists uh, I know you were a rock nation and you were, um, you, you know, you've been developing opportunity for them within their kind of business portfolios. Uh, explain what, um, you know, what are the, some of the activities that you get involved in? Yeah. You know, look, their career is, is as big as they want it to be as wide as they want it to be rather with the revenue streams. You know, you usually have a recording deal where you're, you, where you sell your master recordings in exchange for an artist royalty. You have a publishing deal where you're the songwriter um, and, you know, you, you do kind of a, a, you know, a deal that's, so you're not selling all of them. You're, you're keeping and controlling a portion of that that later reverts to you. There's merchandising, there's, you know, touring, and then there's, you know, sponsorship endorsement. And when it came to Jay-Z, he really wanted to build, you know, business with enterprise value. And so as the, as the attorney, you know, you're not just being handed business terms and telling them to put them in documents because of the, you know, entrepreneurial nature of a lot of, you know, the artists, you're actually going out and sourcing and vetting opportunities for them because agents, um, traditionally had a limited role in just doing the live experience portion of it. They've now expanded some, but, but so, you know, particularly in my case with Jay, we, you know, we were part of a very small team that helped him build out businesses um, that were brand authentic to him, marrying his art and commerce. Yeah. yeah. So, so you're, you're basically, you're, you're protecting their interests, but you're also helping them um, grow it by, by you know, securing deals for them uh, and yeah. ensuring that they're, they're in favorable terms. Exactly. And making sure that, you know, it's available for him to grow his own business and not, you know, pigeonholing him or, or excluding him with the exclusivity clauses and other things. And so it's just like kind of putting those whole chess pieces together. Um, you know, he built the, he decided that he wanted his core business, he would use his core business and branch those out into other businesses, right? And, and you know, there's obviously synergy and amongst all of them and turning, you know, basically turning his hobbies into businesses. And so it's a really, you know, it's part of that core team helping him do that. Excellent. And we've just got three minutes till commercial break, but um, what, what, um, I mean, what, what, what qualities do you need for a job like that? It sounds detailed, but also it requires negotiation. It requires creativity. It sounds like you need a real, a real blend of. Yeah, I think, you know, and look, this is my real, like first real job. I mean, I was a litigator for a year, you know, I didn't really understand the qualities in me that I really um, needed to have to do that. And, you know, a lot of it's like tenacity 
and, you know, not being afraid to say no, which I definitely learned from Jay-Z. But, you know, first and foremost, I was really passionate about it. I was really passionate about advocating for an artist, in particular, a young black man who everybody knew had been, you know, a drug dealer in the past. It's no secret. He wrote books about it. Like, and um, to, you know, somebody who was totally underestimated and underserved and, um, you know, a, and it was really uh, that passion and that advocacy is what I, you know, I really um, drove me then through this thread to the rest of my career. Yeah. So as we'll get to, I was doing the same thing as I'm doing now, management strategy, business development, legal. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's quite, um, quite strategic, isn't it? Um, yeah. The nature of it. I'm just thinking I, I used to have, um, I used to run procurement functions. I had a, had a procurement business once in my my career and we would negotiate lots of contracts and licensing deals and all, all, all sorts of things. But, um, you know, it required, it, um, when we work with lawyers, often the lawyers, you know, the, there was an enormous amount of detail in the contracts. They wouldn't always be fit for purpose, but it seems like your, you know, your role is not just a legal, was a legal role. It's actually, it is a strategy. It's being pragmatic. It's being, yeah. able to, it's a real blend of required. Exactly. Yeah. Right really like looking forward to the future. Like if we do this, like what can't we do? Or if we do this, can we do this, learn how to do it and then like build it into something our own, you know, what those kinds of things are and, and, and how you would market yourself within those deals. You know? Yeah. 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 Real business elevation, which is, which is fits in nicely with this, uh, this show. So we're going to go to commercial break now. After the break, we're going to find out um, more about, uh, about the, these areas of, uh, of women and diversity, which are very um, sit at the very heart of, uh, of Jennifer and her her kind of values and uh, her mission. Uh, maybe we'll get a little bit more insight from what she learned from the likes of Jay Z and Beyonce as well, because that's always quite quite cool to find out. So we'll be back again with you in just a couple of minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific. Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Jennifer Justice. And we, we were talking before the break about uh, Jennifer's fascinating background. Uh, we talked about grunge in Seattle uh, through to uh, becoming an entertainment lawyer uh, and going into uh, into conversations where there's 30 white males and, and no females, you know, really under, underrepresented. And then, you know, her work uh, representing a, a new artist called Jay-Z and how that's, that developed. And Jennifer, I think that takes us really to, um, before we really go into this subject of women and diversity, you know, you, you have... Uh, your own business now, uh, the Justice Department. Uh, just explain what is the Justice Department? Um, who do you help? How do you help? Mm-hmm. Well, the Justice Department is really just an extension of what I was doing before, right? It's, um, well, not right. You don't know that yet. I'm about to tell you. <laughs> it's an extension of what I was doing before. There's part of it is a law firm. And the other part is a consulting strategy, business development, and a management company um, where we consult in, sorry, we consult in strategy, business development. Um, and, but we're hyper-focused on helping women and hyper. And so doing the exact same thing I was doing, you know, for Jay and other clients of mine. But, um, I, you know, I decided to focus on women so we could move the needle, make women more money, use my expertise in, in, in helping, you know, men. And, but, you know getting them more money, getting them more power. Yeah, yeah. And um, and is, is it, um, is the important thing money or is, is the important thing, you know, when you mentioned power there, contributing positively to the world or is it very yes. financial? Well, look, it's, it's, you know, I truly believe if women have more, you know, we will live in capitalist societies like we just do. And, you know, money is power, and power is influence. And I truly believe if, if women had the equal amount of money and power as men, this world would be a better place. Um, and the only way to prove me wrong is for that to happen. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, because it's never been done. Um, I, basically, when I was working, you know, I, I was at Rock Nation for a long time. And then I left and I became the president of a company called Superfly. Um, which is a live experience company and they own Bonroom Music Festival and Outside Lands. I started those, you know, but throughout my career, you know, after, you know, the glass ceiling hit my head and I was called too ambitious, I, um, I was also representing women and men in an executive level, you know, when I was a music attorney and I did a deal for a man at an entry level and he was making $130,000 as his first offer and, you know, had no track record, no, you know, didn't generate any revenue yet, et cetera. And it was a no revenue generating you know, area. And then basically his boss, the senior director was offered 90,000 and she had a truck record had made money for the company. And I was like, wait a minute, why is this okay? And you know, the partner of the firm at the time was like, well, they're okay with it. I'm like, but why are we, we have this insight, we have this information, like, why is this okay? And this is, you know, this is probably early 2000s. And it's like, okay, fine, you go try to make her more money. And I did, and I was met with, well, you know, her husband makes a lot of money. He's a big music manager. Um, she's fine with it. What do you care? Um, she didn't ask for it, so it's what she asked for. And so she's like, wait, why? what is going on? And then so I started seeing this more and more and more, you know, throughout I was there 11 years, then I went in-house at Rock Nation. When we started Rock Nation, I did the deal to start Rock Nation, then I went in-house and started there. 
just kept seeing this pattern, seeing this pattern. And then, you know, the higher up in the ladder you go, it's not $40,000 difference. It's $400,000 difference with compounds into $4 million difference, right? Over time, like, like this is substantial life-changing money for people because while money does not bring you happiness, it brings you choices. Yes. It brings you choices about your life, right? And so I became very passionate about it and started joining organizations, you know, women empowering women, et cetera. And, you know, all told when my deal was done with Superfly, I was making money for men by day and trying to overthrow the patriarchy at night. And like, so really started thinking about how I could help women. You know, I had this unique business um, experience where I was in a room with, you know, men, you know, constantly being usually one of the only women, if the, not the only woman, uh, you know, I was met with, you know, sexual harassment, daily I was met with you know in the workplace and seeing my clients you know meet with it daily and I was like what what kind of what can I offer and you know I was noticing that women were left out of a lot of conversations when it did talk about um, areas of business right they were traditionally in roles of marketing or PR and um, you know so when they finally did get that you know c-suite they're sitting in a meeting with other C-suite people, you know, talking about P&Ls and, in, you know, language and finance that they didn't have any access to before. And so, you know, immediately also felt left out of that conversation. Um, and we weren't making any strides in gender, you know, pay equity. We weren't making strides in, you know, female founders getting, you know, venture money or raising any money. Um, and I was like, you know, but I have insight into this. And I know, you know, I've, I've done it with men. So let me see how I can help. That was really the impetus for it and why I started the Justice Department. And it wasn't just, um, I mean, you, when we, we chatted a few weeks ago, you shared lots of statistics with me. It's not just your industry, is it? This is a... Uh, no, this is across the board. Board. It's across the board. I mean, in the United States alone, um, and this is pre-pandemic, way worse now. I'm sh- um, I don't even want to know that like, the numbers are going to be scary. It was going to be 208 years for women in the United States to make the same amount of money as men. And I could not look, and I don't know any person, I don't know any man who wants to look at their daughter and tell them, you have zero chance of making the same amount of money as your son, as my son, as your brother. Like, why is that okay with anybody? We're 50% of the population, you know, and we enter college and law school, et cetera, in the same terms. You know, we, women only got to get 2% of the venture capital money. So meaning that we have to do 200 meetings basically to get, you know, a couple of people interested because it's going to take more than, you know, one financer. And if you're a woman of color, it's 0.5%, you know, and, and traditionally these businesses are businesses that are catering toward women. They're a void in our daily lives. So then on top of what we're met with, yeah, I don't really get it. It seems like it's just a woman's thing. It's like, okay, fine, but we're 50% of the population. We control 80% of the purchasing power. Like if you give us money and we create products that women like, then they're going to spend money on it, which creates a bigger pie and a bigger economy. It's not like we're trying to take anything away, right? It's like actually building, and there are statistics on that. Like it's building a better economy and a bigger economy, and it's dealing with helping diversity and inclusion in a very natural way. You know. Mm. Yeah. Wow. It, it's um, just just crazy, isn't it? And, and I mean, I always find it fascinating how uh, you know how you know there are, there are cultural norms in with with human beings that seem acceptable 
And, you know, you see in, I see in organizations that I've, I've worked with in the past, you know, behaviors which, you know, when, when the light is shone on them, you know, maybe a number of years later, you know, the, you know, how ridiculous they are suddenly comes to light. I mean, my, yeah. my wife's um, a, a, a medic, was training as a GP. She was working over 100 hours a week. Um, she was working for sometimes five days, um, pretty much continuous with just, you know, a few hours to put her head down. And that was seen as being normal. Um, I know, it's insane. You know, one occasion she burst into tears, was taken into a room and said, look, if you, don't, if you haven't really got the, um, you know, the, the, the gut for it, maybe you should do something else after five days of no sleep. I mean, and it's the same with, um, with, with, with women. And, um, you know, the, the Me Too is another thing, isn't it? Which has become, you know, just raised um, awareness of uh, situations that are going on, which, which became the norm and right. some degree of acceptability. So I think it's great that you are pioneering and, you know, and, and, and pushing in this area. And actually, if I had a daughter, I'd, I'd, I'd like her to be represented by you, to be honest, uh, for, for safety <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, security and, and, and awareness. So the, the other thing, too, is, is this unfair representation. However, there is so much more value um, potentially um, able to, that's able to be created if you have diversity in your organization. So how should people in, who have businesses uh, view uh, women and diversity going forward and how do they correct the balance? Yeah, look, I think, I think there's many ways and you can approach it. And, you know, if, it, if you're not thinking about it in a moral way, right, which a lot of people are, it's like the right thing to do. Okay, but still financially, there's a ton of financial data that says that if you have more than two women in the boardroom, two women in an executive suite, um, it performs better and even better if there's more diversity amongst those. You want your executive base to reflect your consumer base. You know, these, these times aren't going away. They're only going to be heightened. And quite frankly, dinosaurs become extinct. So if you don't get with it, like you're not going to, you know, it's like the person it's like, you're still like putting in that, please fax me something. No, you know what I mean? It's like somebody says that or it's in a document, like you're like, fact, did you really just say to fax me something? Like, come on. Um, like times change, right? And you have to adapt with those changes. And, and if anything highlighted the brunt of work that is put on women, it's this pandemic you know, women working and still like required to do the bulk of the, the child care and the child rearing and the housework, et cetera. So, you know, it's, it's going to change and either women will build their own matriarchal system that will, you know, fit for them or, you know, these, the traditional patriarchal systems will look within and say, we have to change, not just wait for people to complain about it because, those who were not thought of, and I say this because I'm American, you know, in the Constitution, like, w you know, whenever we voice our concerns, like we're technically in the minority and we're putting our, our careers at stake. Like, it's going to take those who were thought of in the Constitution to stand up and go, you know what, this has always served me. This way of working has always served me. The workplace and, you know, the time people go to work and finish, like all of that was established by men because it worked for them. Like, what if you put yourself in a situation 
where it was, you're looking at it through a woman's point of view, you know, and walking in her shoes or a person of diversity, knowing that if you walked into any boardroom and you were actually the only man in there, how do you feel? You know, if you were the only white person in there, how would you feel? And, you know, so these things, you know, matter. Um, and, and being able to look at it from that point of view and not just waiting for people to stand up and ask for things, but going, being proactive and looking and saying, okay, like, what should we be doing? Yeah. Yeah. Now you, you worked with, obviously with, with the likes of Jay-Z and Beyonce and, uh, you know, you mentioned now, you know, a, a you know a man of color who was um, had a, a slightly sketchy start in in life, and um, and Beyonce, a hugely successful female artist. What tips can you give to people who are looking to develop their careers, uh, and uh, you know, maybe not the archetypal uh, white um, young artist? Any any tips and thoughts for for people to stand out and shine like they did, and well, look, I think it's always being authentic to who you are, right? And But understanding who your audience is. Um, and, and, you know, being passionate and stand behind your convictions and then finding those people who still who believe in that as well. You know, it's hard. Like, I just told the story about the place that I thought I wanted to work. And they said I was too ambitious. You know, what if I didn't listen to that and still decided to work there? Like, my whole spirit would have been crushed, you know, it would not have been the place for me. It would not have been, it would have been soul crushing. It was not the place that I could thrive. And, you know, sometimes those places that you feel are where you want to work are the only place. And, and, you know, you got to, you got to listen to them when they speak, you know, if they are not addressing you know, diversity or gender equality or care about it. And you're in an interview and you ask about it, like, is there anybody who looks like me? And they're not, they're like, yeah, they're all out there. They're assistants. Like you've got to look for it. It's like, you know, there's nothing worse than, than that performative allyship where it's like, yeah, we are totally trying to, you know, help women and, and, you know, minorities and people of color. And you're like, okay, well, how many are in your executive ranks? And it's still all white men. And like, oh, but, you know, this junior level, okay, what's that doing? That's not doing anything. You know what I mean? It just means that they're still serving you, right? So, you know, you have to be open to this change and you have to be open um, to real dialogue around it. So, you know, back to your question, it's like you need to, you know, really stay authentic. And that doesn't mean don't take those jobs because sometimes that's all you have. But Take that job with a very open mind to look around you and and find your next step, like and use that as a stepping stone. Yeah, and that's smart advice. I'll, I always remember I was speaking at a, a conference and I came off the stage, and three um, young women who had recently graduated um, came over to speak to me and uh, and they asked me a great question. They said, you know, could you? Do you have any any thoughts of um, any companies that you'd recommend we approach who um, would help make me a better person? Was the question, and I thought, wow, you know, when I I worked for Mars, the confectionery firm, when I joined them, uh, I joined them because I needed a needed a job, but I got a company car and things like that. And you know, these people now the awareness to know that actually to, it's it's important to be selective where you go and find those companies that have, have got the open and got the right cultures. Right. Yeah. 
Uh, you know, I, I, I look, I've only, you know, predominantly represented women in the past, you know, two years. So I've seen it firsthand how far, like we've come, you know, a little bit, but like we have so, so, so far to go, you know, pregnant women being passed over for, for roles because they're about to go on maternity leave to, you know, women who are like, ah, look, I'm being offered these big roles. I just don't want to take it because it's like going to be torture. Like I have to become a man to do it. Like, and there's nothing with wrong, wrong with men, but you know what I mean? I have to step into this role where it's like, no one will be home with my kids. I'm expected to work, you know, all hours and all day, which is just like on a, like it's, it's just not necessary anyway. Like, unless you're actually curing cancer or solving world peace, do you really need to work 24 hours a day and then including on the weekends? Like, come on. You know, <laughs> it's like, so it always like the music industry is like, that's like, oh, everything is so, you know, got to work and like getting texts at like 10 at night on a Saturday. And you're like, what are we doing here? Come on. You know what I mean? And that's part of the problem. Like women, we, we can't do that. If we are the soul, like, you know, we're the, the, the person that is relied upon to put like toilet paper in the house and, you know, called when the kid is sick at school, like. If we're that backdrop, like you can't have those things, you know, and look, it goes also to men have to take partial responsibility for the homework, you know, stuff at home as well. But I'm a single mom, so it's just me, you know, and, you know, I can't, you, you can't put those pressures on you. Like, I, I, I mean, I've been told, like, oh, I want to leave early to take my kids trick or treating. Oh, I must be nice. What? It's four o'clock in the afternoon. Like, really, those two extra hours are going to just kill the company? I'm a horrible employee because I want to take my kids, you know, to trick-or-treating? This is insane. So it's a bit like uh, we've got to go to commercial break now. So we're going for yeah. a pause, but it's a bit, you know, I'm thinking, you know, COVID's made us pause. And, yeah. uh, and, and actually, you know, look at, look at where our intelligence has got us to. Yeah. Um, I do believe it's time for a bit more wisdom. And yeah. uh, in areas like that, um, I, you know, I hope post COVID, people are really starting to think about because uh, you know we're we're we break people with that yeah. kind of behaviour. We've got all these mental health issues that are arising, you know, pre and, and post COVID, and it's time to take stock, isn't it? And look at those ways yeah. that have served us and those ways that can make us more effective moving forward. Exactly. Yeah. Right, so we're going to commercial break again. We'll be back again in just a couple of minutes, and and after the break, we'll we'll find out some um, yeah, you know, some more 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 tips and thoughts um, about uh, succeeding with uh, with diversity after the break, and uh, uh, and yeah, do join us in a couple of minutes. It'll be be well worthwhile. Speak soon. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. 
Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, it's Chris Cooper. I'm with Jennifer Justice. We're talking about winning with women and diversity. And we're just having a little, little chat in the break about, uh, about ensuring that women get good, smart advice, really. And, uh, and I was just saying how I think it's you know, really helpful for young, young women who are developing their careers to get, get experience from uh, you know, uh, uh, women, more mature women who've got that experience and wisdom that they can they help them. So, I mean, do you want to share a little bit about how you, at the Justice Department, help help young women and maybe some of the challenges they might come into you with and, uh, and um, how you support them moving forward? Yeah, so, I mean, look at this. When I left Rock Nation, it was a little over five years ago, and I had contemplated starting something like this then, but I wasn't really sure that even women were really ready for it, you know? Um, it's hard to admit... I think that you have been biased against or things weren't, you know, stepped over for roles because of how you were born, you know, and the Me Too movement really brought to light um, and amongst women that it's happening to all of us. Right. And so that was really enlightening for women across the board, not just in entertainment, but then, you know, you know, women just started talking and the dialogue became bigger and like, oh, that happened to you too. And that happened to you too. And, and, you know, kind of the shame around it for, from a women's perspective was put aside and, and we started being really honest with ourselves um, because I don't know a woman who wasn't, who has not been sexually harassed in one form or another and um, not one woman in this world, you know? And so, you know, it's a pretty, um, it's a pretty bold statement, but it's true. And, and, and so I was finding that women really wanted to hire women. And when I would get to the bottom of why they wanted to, it was usually because they were represented by a man who had even the ones with the best intentions and wanted to, you know, help them however they could. You still don't know what it's like to walk into a room full of men and be objectified, not thought of as smart, talked over, you know, ideas taken from, not taken seriously, you know, just immediately thought that you, you know, were not the, the boss, you know, and all those things which happen to us on a daily basis. And, you know, when it came to legal agreements, they would say, like, oh, I did this deal and I didn't, I didn't really want to do it, but my lawyer said it was the best deal I could get. And like, well, did you say that you didn't want to do it? Not necessarily, you know, it, it wasn't their fault. It really wasn't. It was like they didn't want to feel stupid. They didn't want to look stupid because we grow up, you know, with having to be 130% right or we're not seen as smart, you know. And 
like we're not taken as seriously and, and even by ourselves and each other, you know, and it, it's, it's not just a man versus woman. That's not what this is. This is whole societal thing that even women themselves do it to women. In fact, often so worse, right? Which, you know, let's get to in a, a second, but back to your question, it was like, okay, so I, you know, I'm going to enter in this room with you as a woman. Okay. So I understand all the different pressures you're going through. I understand that, you know, you have a daughter and like we might need to talk on the weekend. And so tell me what time she's napping. So it's more convenient for you. Tell me all of your emotions and fears and passions about this, which is, you know, in, in, you know, business, you're not supposed to talk about, you're not supposed to be emotional, you know, but for men, that's passion. Women, it's, it's emotion, you know, and we're the bossy and shrill ones, right? But that term has never been used on a man in his entire life, you know, um, or shrill, you know, and so all, so, you know, I, I, I knew what to say and then would immediately go, okay, well, you're not wrong. You're not, and you're not supposed to know all these things, right? You're supposed to hire the people who know these things. You're supposed to hire somebody like me who tells you these things. This is not something in intuition, you know, these are, these are the things that you can get. These are the things that are good for you. These are the things that are bad for you. These are the things, you know, I'm going to help you know enough about this to make these decisions for you. And, you know, I, you know, We'll, we'll go through all of them so you understand what everything means. Whereas a lot of men, like, growing up in this, you know, the, in, in work and the system, like, have shared information forever. And so things that you would think are second nature to everybody in business are not second nature to us. They're just not. They're not things that we have been around, have shared with each other. We don't share salaries like men do. We don't share insights about, you know, contracts like like they do, we, you know, we're not on the basketball court playing fantasy football, like out, like competing against each other in a way that is a healthy competition. And so all of these things are new to us. And so, you know, when you find somebody that's more of a safe space, it makes it easier to bring your full self, you know, and that's what I've found with my clients. Mm. And, and yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I had um, my guest on last week was ex- talking to me about how women have, close friends men's friends are more based around doing something that you've got in common uh, yeah. and you know maybe that going going and doing sport i mean i can't i can't think of in my career when i particularly had conversations around my salary with people um but i think i think there's there's also you know this i what this conversation that we were having today also brought back a few memories for for me from the past having i did have a situation where i had a boss with a female boss with a high ego and she was very painful for the whole whole team to be around um and uh i do know of, of friends who've had you know a very males have been quite bullied by females in relationships um, and at the moment we've got a big thing big movement going on a lot of demonstrations in the uk over someone's sad death and I do, I do wonder whether actually we need to all take a look inside ourselves and, and all have a look at our beliefs and, and behaviors because it's an individual thing, isn't it? It's, uh, yeah. you know, we can, we can kind of, I know we're making sense of this and, 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 the, and the stats are very stacked in the favor of, uh, of men at the moment. You've shared that, but there's also, you know, I like to think some of us are a little bit more you know, try and be more enlightened around this and do some soul searching around uh, yeah. where our beliefs maybe came from and try to improve. Um, but it's, it, it's often, rather than pointing others, we've all got to look inside, I think, whether we're male 
or female, female are maybe looking at maybe some hangups which are limiting you um, potentially, yeah. um, and, and men looking at behaviours which, uh, quite frankly, um, may seem acceptable in a certain culture but are not. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think or they were acceptable a while ago. I mean, look, it's it all stems from if you can see it, you can be it, right? Yeah. So if if everybody looks like you and you're like, okay, I walk it in as a white man and I walked into this office and everybody's a white man, you could be anything in there, right? Okay, you can have any job. So you walk in as a woman and there's no women and you're like, okay, how do I set myself apart? Well, uh, the only thing, the only person I know to watch is other men. So I'm going to just be like that. And I also have a chip on my shoulder because I am the only woman. So I'm trying to act like somebody yeah. else. But I'm, but I'm not, right? And so finally, I get this one office. Okay, that, I have to hold on to that tight. Like, this is my only office. And I want to still have the seat at the table. So, you know, you, you kinda in, you're kind of in there. And, like, ego is really what it's, – it's shame, you know, in a dress, right? It's just like – it's you know, ego is really a massive insecurity. Um, otherwise, you wouldn't have it. And so you, um, you have to go, okay, you know – they're scared of losing their job. They're scared of losing their power. And, you know, so oftentimes, I mean, I've had horrible female bosses and, but, you know, I know what it's like to be in that, their shoes. And, you know, when there's, you know, also so many statistics, it's like, you know, when women are in these positions of power, like people just want to drag them down you know, look at Hillary Clinton's campaign. All we talked about her is her hair and her clothes. And she was like, oh, she's so whiny. Or she was like yelling all the time. I'm like, no, she wasn't. She wasn't. She was doing the exact same thing. And like, then you have like this man who used to be our president, we can't even speak of. And you're like, well, it's such a horrible human being making fun of people. I wouldn't let my kindergarten kids do that. And, you know, you have to, yeah, and you have to look at your own biases and be like, what was it like to be that only person? And who did she ever have to talk to that was like her? You know, the statistics is still, there's only 20 female founded companies that have ever gone public. 20. 20. We're in 2021. It's crazy. So, you know, it's very lonely at the top. It's very lonely at the top when there's nobody else that looks like you. Nobody else is dealing with everything. And so, you know, you have to look at it like, first of all, that. And then you have to think about how we also overjudge women and, and top and success. We do use words like bossy and shrill and emotional instead of passionate and aggressive and, you know, inspiring. Um, Those are true things. Absolutely, you know, Harvard Business School has done a ton of research on all of this. You know, there are women in the business school, you know, they were taking surveys that they were scared to answer questions because they didn't want to seem like they were undateable or unattractive because they looked too smart, you know? but they were at Harvard Business School. Obviously, you're smart, you know? Um, you know, there's stats that when women go to ask for a raise, doesn't matter if it's a female or a male, that they're just seen as whiny and like, you know, why? And men are seen as like, oh, look at he's a go-getter. These are all thing data, you know? And if anything, you just look at the data and the facts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 50% of women graduate from college, 50, over 50% and, you know, women graduate law school. Why aren't we represented the same way? Yeah. Cause we're not as smart. We get yeah. all the same grades. So what is it, you know, and it's going to take somebody who's really, who really cares about it and to look at, like you said, introspectively to be like, okay, there's definitely something going on here. Like, you know, we are all equal, but we're not the same. We have different chromosome 
You know, we have, we have different chromosomes. We reassess risk differently. If we didn't, like no babies would be born if we thought of risk the same way as men did. We have to be like, risk, oh, where I'm about to give like birth to a human. I need to calm down, you know? So. Yeah, but that, that, um, that dif- difference in, in chromosomes, DNA, whatever, that, that creates diversity, doesn't it? And yeah. hopefully better decision-making and, uh, you know, less... Um, Less, less, maybe less, a bit less gung ho behavior, perhaps. Yeah, uh, it's diversity of thought. It's yeah, yeah, no herd mentality, right? It's like discourse, which is you know, and and you know, understanding and empathy. Yeah, respect. Re, you know, respect. That's what everyone needs to give each other. Like, you know, look, it's like great to talk about love and kindness, but really, what we all need is just respect for each other, respect for un- and understanding of everybody's positions. And before we were all supposed to enter in the exact same stereotype, which was all based on a white man. And it's like, I wasn't allowed to say I had kids. I wasn't allowed to, you know, do the things that I could not do as a woman or bring to the table as a woman, you know, or as a mother or as, you know, a single mom or from a woman who, you know, from poverty to this, like there's so many things I wasn't allowed to do. Mm. You know, this year has changed a lot though. Yeah. Well, I hope you can be able to do that going forward. You've got a great um, vehicle to, to do that. And we've just got a, a couple of minutes. So I wanted to ask you about the, the, the children and we'll maybe have to talk to you, talk to you uh, again. I mean, do you have a final message that you, you'd like to leave us with? I mean, yeah, I think everybody should, you know, look at their children and, you know, and whoever they love the most and be able to tell them they did all they did to make this world a better place. You know, like we, I truly believe when, when the consumer and what the world looks like today is all has equal power, the world will be a better place, yeah. you know, and see what well, you can do to make, to be a part of that. Absolutely. I think, I think listening to you and, I've been privileged to have this conversation and it's made me think uh, a little bit more of my work when I work with leaders and companies. And in some ways I'm, I'm connect, trying to connect people more with the female side of them, actually, you know, bringing more respect, caring, you know, love into an organization um, rather than just a, you know, a drive for numbers and things at all, all cost. Um, so it's that, that those softer, respectful skills that bring people together and, you know, make them more cohesive and, uh, and, and I think that works more effectively when you've got a much more diverse team of, of, of uh, female, males, people from different cultures uh, and varieties. Um, so I've completely... And also pro- proven to be more financially rewarding. It, it's, there's actual, you know, that in statistics. It's like you want better customers. You want people to be loyal to you because of that. It makes it completely not a uh, no-brainer. So on, on that note, um, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a, an absolute pleasure and uh, fascinating and insightful and um, really, really grateful to you for joining us today. On next week's show, uh, we have um, Jessica Richards. Uh, Jessica is also a very passionate person in my network. She's been on the show once before. We're going to talk about changing yourself, change your life. She's uh, an incredible um, businesswoman who is also a, a psychologist and has an amazing technique to enable you to change your limiting beliefs and was voted 
in the top three speakers for the Academy of Chief Executives in the in the last ten years. So um, let's we'll, we'll join her next week uh, once again. Big thank you to uh, to Jennifer and uh, any questions, comments, Chris at chriscooper.co.uk to get a hold of um, uh, Jennifer. Um, info at thejusticedepartment.com. Go and check out thejusticedepartment.com to find out more about uh, about Jennifer and her incredible work. We thank you for listening to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.